and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're really glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we're glad that you're here because the truth is, is that every one of us is in need of, uh, is in need of Christ. Every one of us needs God's grace and his mercy. If you're here this morning, and maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church, and you're exploring the truths of Christianity, you're in need of Christ. If you've been walking with Jesus for many months, many years, the truth is, is you need Christ as well. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you've walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive. (laughs) There are some of you who that is true. Friends, the truth is, you need Jesus as well. We are all in need of the grace and mercy of our Lord. And so that is why we come every Sunday to sing and to pray, to dine at his table and to sit under his word. Because it is in his word that we learn more of that Christ that we are in need of. And so the portion of his word that we're going to take up this morning is Psalm 139. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's also printed in our order of service, Psalm 139. This is a psalm of David. One commentator called it the crown of the entire Psalter. It's a beautiful psalm. Psalm 139, to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, this is the very word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Our God and our King, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the truth is that your word, it endures forever. Your word is the same yesterday, it is the same today, and it will there, be there again tomorrow and for all time. It endures forever. And so we come to this, your word, 
and ask that you would use it to show us our sin, reveal, us, reveal to us your grace, and lead us in the way that we are to go so that our lives would be lived in glory to you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, even if you are the most staunch introvert, you know that too much time being alone can actually be painful. I'm an introvert, believe it or not. I, I am by nature. And, and I even know, though I like the time to myself, that too much of it can be hard. It can be sad. It can fill me with anxiety and pain. Right? We've all experienced that, the introvert and the extrovert. All of us have experienced the, the pain of being alone, of thinking that we've been forgotten, that we are by ourselves. I remember a number of years ago when I was a child, I was playing travel t-ball. That's right. You, you heard that right. I was on a travel t-ball team that whole lot of unhealthiness there, right? Um, uh, we can talk about that another time. But I was on my travel t-ball team, and we were at a tournament that was two or three hours away from my home. It was a whole weekend long, and, and we had been eliminated from the tournament. And so we're walking back to the car, me and my parents. We're walking back to get in and make the drive back home. But I was hungry, right? We'd been playing all day, and, and I needed some food. And so I stopped at the food tent, and I got in line, and I got my hot dog, and I got my can of Coke, and, and I weaved my way back through, and I looked around, and my parents were gone. I was maybe six or seven. And I'm looking around, and I cannot find them, right? Hot dog in one hand, Coke in the other, and surrounded by strangers. And I don't know where my parents are, and so anxiety. I didn't know that word at that age, but that's what started to fill my heart, right? Anxiety and worry and fear. I've been forgotten. I'm alone. Where are my parents? And so I start to look all over the field for them, and finally I see them. They're in the parking lot, getting into the car, driving away, <laughs> I've been forgotten. I'm alone. They left me. And I have to tell you, that little six or seven-year-old boy with a hot dog in one hand and a Coke in another began to weep because I was alone. I was by myself. Those who were supposed to care for me had left. Anxiety, fear, and worry filled my heart. Y'all know what that's like. The worry of being alone. The fear that erupts in your heart. Maybe like it's late at night and you made a wrong turn. And you found yourself in a part of town that you're not familiar with. And, and it's a part of town that you know is not one that is safe to be alone at, at night. Maybe it's the anxiety and the worry that you feel because a loved one has passed away. And for the first time in decades, you are falling asleep to an empty house. Maybe it's actually that you're surrounded by friends and family, but you still feel alone because you wonder, do they really want to know what's in my heart? Do they really know me? Do they really want to hear the thoughts that run through my head? We know what it's like to feel that worry, that anxiety of being alone. David knows what that's like. In countless times in, in his Psalms, in the, the 73-ish psalms that David wrote, in countless times he speaks of enemies surrounding him, of feeling alone, far from God. Even in this passage, he says in verse 23, Try me and know my thoughts. 
that word for thoughts, it literally means disquieting thoughts. It has the implication of anxious doubts or anxious concerns. And why? Because he is looking around and he sees bloodthirsty men. Surely David is feeling alone and anxious and maybe even afraid. He needs his heart to be quieted. And so what does he do? He turns to what he knows to be true. What he knows to be true of God. He turns to the fact that though he may feel alone, though he may be filled with anxiety, that God is with him. That God is with us. Look at what he says in the middle of the psalm in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Do you hear what he's saying? That it doesn't matter if I climb the heights of heaven or the depths of the earth. If I find myself in the grave or to the east or to the west, there you are. There is nowhere that he can flee from his presence. God is omnipresent. That's what theologians call it. It means that there is nowhere that we can go where God is not. You know, some think that David is expressing, um, he's expressing an exacerbation. He actually wants to get away from God. Some think that, that, that he looks and he's wanting to be by himself, away from the Lord. And so he looks and he says, I can't even get away from you. No matter where I go, there you are there. But I don't think that's what David intended. No, you see, this presence of God is a comforting presence. That's what the psalm is. We read through it, and there is great comfort that David experiences, knowing that God is with him wherever he might go. God's never-ending presence is a source of comfort, even in the midst of darkness. Look at verses 11 and 12. David says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David's not ignoring the shadows. He's not saying that the darkness of this world or of his own heart, that those are figments of his imagination. He's acknowledging them. He's recognizing them. But he says, even in those darkest of places, God, you are there. You are with me. In the darkness, the light of God evaporates the anxiety and the darkness away. Why? Well, verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even in the darkest of places, your right hand shall hold me. A few weeks ago when we were looking at another psalm, I mentioned Jesus' teaching about if you are in Christ, that there is nothing that you can do to be plucked from his hand. That there's nothing that can happen to pluck us from the Father's hand. This is a theme I run back to again and again and again. And maybe some of y'all are getting tired. Like, Penny, come on. Like, okay, God is with us. Great, let's move on. But I have to tell you, I never tire of hearing that. You see, every single day, I need to be reminded God is with us. God is near us. I never tire of hearing that because every single day I'm confronted by anxiety and worry, and fear. I'm confronted by, by feeling like I am alone, like, like 
there might be attacks waiting at my door, right? Every single day we are confronted by these things where what we need is to be reminded of the truth that we are not alone. That God is with us, that he holds us in the palm of his hand. God is with us. That is an amazing, amazing truth. That even when we think that the entire world has fled from us, the truth is, is that you are, if you are in Christ, you are never alone because God is with you. That's the hope, the comfort that David turns to, that God is with us. But, but not only that God is with us, God also knows us. That's how the psalm began, verses 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Even before a word is on my tongue, God knows it. He's acquainted with all of my ways. This knowing of us, it's it's not simply knowledge or the accumulation of facts or data. like, Like, I know my times tables. That's not what this knowing is about. It's something much deeper. It is intimate. God knows the deepest recesses of our hearts. He knows the farthest portions of our minds. He knows us. He's acquainted with us. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. I mean, we've all said, I have no idea why I said that, right? Most of the time to our spouse. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. You're right. I'm an idiot, right? I don't know why I did that. What was I thinking, right? I don't know, but you know what? God knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows those things in your heart and he knows those things in your mind. He is intimate with us, even in the things that are mundane. Did you hear what David said? You know when I sit down and when I rise up. I was thinking about that verse this week. You know, when I'm at the office and I'm in my study and I'm, I'm preparing for a sermon, I'm reading, I'm writing. Maybe I'm about to go into a counseling appointment or I just had a hard conversation. Sometimes I need to get out and I just need to clear my head. And so when this happens, I always grab my baseball because I keep a baseball in my office, of course. So I grab my baseball and, and I start walking around the grounds of the property. And I just walk around the building and I pray sometimes and sometimes I'm just thinking. And, but, but I walk and I just kind of flip the ball in the air. I flip in the air and I catch it and I just keep walking to clear my head. And sometimes I go into our neighborhood, right, the neighborhood surrounding our church, our church neighborhood. I walk through that and I wave at the drivers driving way too fast who almost hit me, you know. And, and, uh, but there I am flipping my baseball. And, and as I was walking this week doing this on one of those days, I was thinking about this verse. And thinking, you know, it's easy to think that God knows me when I'm doing spiritual things like sermon prep and prayer and church. But God's knowledge of me doesn't stop when I take a break from those things. God's knowledge of me, his intimate knowledge of me is with me even when I'm flipping that ball. In fact, God knows me so much, he knows how many rotations that ball is going to take before it returns to my hand. And God knows the next step I'm going to take and then the next one. And he knows the breaths that I'm going to breathe. And he knows the drivers that are going to come flying by me way too fast. He knows when you're going to stand from the chairs that you're sitting in and when you're going to return to them. And he knows that couch you're going to lay on this afternoon to take that little nap. 
And he knows the deep sigh you're going to take sometime this week before you walk into that meeting. That's how intimate he is with us. Not just when we're doing the, quote, spiritual things, but he's intimate with us in every aspect of our life. He knows even the mundane, even the normal aspects of our life. I mean, it is amazing to think about the intimate knowledge that he has with us, this intimate knowledge that began when we began. In fact, really, it began before we were even born, but that's where David turns in verse 13. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knew us. Like, think about that. That those few days or weeks before a mother even knows that she's pregnant, right? That first week when, when there is, is a child that is being formed in the womb and, and they don't even recognize that they're, they're pregnant. They don't think anything is different and yet God's eye is on us. At four weeks in, in embryos, one twenty-fifth of an inch. I look, that's too small to even be on a ruler. <laughs> and yet God sees us. He is forming and fashioning us. That he is intimate knowledge of us, even when we were in our mother's wombs. That is amazing. This is one of the reasons, one of the countless reasons why we value life so much. Because God's concern for us didn't begin when we were first born. It didn't begin when we first believed in him. It didn't begin when we became reformed in our theology. His intimate knowledge of us began when we were formed in our mother's womb why we value life because it's not an accident it's not a mistake god doesn't make junk no it's to be valued all of life is valued because he knows it he knows us that's why we would never say things like so-and-so is worthless or a waste no god knows us we're fearfully and wonderfully made He's created and formed us by his very hand. He is intricately weaving us together. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. I mean, David is right when he says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That word wonderful, it means incomprehensible. I cannot even fathom God's knowledge of me. It is beyond my understanding. And what makes this so amazing, so marvelous, is that he knows us and he is still with us. You know, I know that the Avengers are the big popular um, superhero movie out, right, series out right now. And, and I get that. They're really fun. Uh, I, I like them. Um, but, um, but the way, uh, the movie that I exposed Kat to, to bring her into the superhero genre, uh, was the X-Men. I loved the X-Men when I was a little kid. Right, these, these guys who had these genetic mutations and, and so they could do things like have, have uh, uh, beams of light come out of their eyes and blow things up or they could command the weather. Um, they could miraculously heal or have anti, I can't remember what that metal is in Wolverine, right? You know, he, he had this special metal that was indestructible. It, it was, there's so much fun. But the power that I really wanted, you know, if you ask me what, what superhero power would you want, I'd want the power that Professor Xavier has. 
Professor Xavier, remember, he has this mind control. He can manipulate things. He doesn't have to touch them with his hands. He can lift them out, but, but he can also get into your head. And he can know what you're thinking and what you're saying and before you're going to say it. And he knows your desires and your past and your history and all these sorts of things. And I thought, I would want to know that. Maybe that says a little bit about uh, my own uh, insecurities. <laughs> but I thought that would be really cool to know. Like, you know, I wonder, uh, so that person, as they furrow their brow, are they really in deep thought or just indigestion? Right? Like, I would want to know those things. What are they thinking right now? And, and what were they thinking when they said that? And what are they going to say in, in the future? I would want to know these sorts of things. But as I thought about it, you know what I realized? Is that as much as I would like to know what's going on in the head of someone else, I don't want anyone else to know what's going on in mine. Right? Because though I stopped myself from saying that word, what I wanted to say is still rolling around in my head. And I wouldn't want anyone to know what I would have really liked to have said in that moment. Right? I wouldn't want others to know those desires and those sins and those thoughts that I keep contained to the deep recesses of my mind. Right? And neither would you. We don't want people to know what's in our head because the truth is, is if they did, we'd probably have a lot less friends, <laughs> right? But what's amazing is God does know. And even though he knows, he still is with us. Is that not incredible? All those things that we would want to prevent anyone from ever knowing, God knows them. And he is still with us. He knows you with that kind of intimacy. He, in fact, it's, it's because he knows you that he is with us. Because he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what I need. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel comes to Joseph. You remember Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows it's not his baby. And so Joseph's going to put her away, right, very quietly. And so the angel comes to Joseph and says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You see, that is what God knows about us. That we are in need of saving from our sins. And so what does he do? He comes to be with us. Later in that passage, we're told that this is to fulfill all that the prophet Isaiah said. For behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. God with us. God sees our need. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts and he doesn't flee. He comes to be with us because that is what we need. We are in need of a savior who would come and would take on himself our sin, who would die and rise again for you. That is what we're in need of. And God knows that. And so he doesn't run. He comes near. It is amazing. It truly is incomprehensible that God would know that and he would still draw near to us. That is the good news. That Jesus comes to be with us. That is the good news that apart from him, there is no forgiveness. That is the good news that what we are in need of, he gives us. We are in need of him. God with us. God who knows us. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful. So what are we to do? As God draws near to us, as God knows us intimately, what, what is that to elicit from us? What kind of response should we, should we have when we know this? Well, it means that we are to follow God's leading of us. That's what David said in verse 10. He tells us God's hold, God holds us, but he also says, your hand shall lead me. God knows us and he directs us in the way that we are to go. Verse 5 says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. That hand of laying, it's not just a hand of comfort, but it's also a hand of guidance. The Old Testament theologian Bruce Walkey said this way, he said, this signifies the imposition of a will. The gesture of laying one's hand on another exhibits full authority. See, what David is saying is that the one who knows us and the one who is with us, he is the one who has full authority over us. It means that our lives are to be lived in following after him under his authority. He leads us in the way that we are to go and he directs our paths. So this means that we don't let the desires of our heart when they are contrary to God's word to lead us. It means that we don't let the winds of this world direct our ways but that we are led by his very hand. You see, our lives become about his glory. That's why David has this prayer of imprecation in verses 19 through 22. As you were following along, as we were listening, I mean, did, did it seem striking that, that we went from this psalm of high poetry, beautiful, beautiful language, to these, these heights of, of, of words and of of poetry, and then all of a sudden we have these words of judgment and of justice. It seems strange, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem a little out of place? I mean, why would David go there? There's lots that we could say about imprecation, and we're going to because I told you that over the next 12 years we're going to be in the Psalms every summer, and so we're going to have to hit an imprecatory psalm because there's a handful of them. And so we're going to say many things about imprecation. But for now, what I want you to see is that David is so consumed with God's glory to following his leading and longing for that leading to be not just in his own life, but in the world, that he cannot help but be filled with zeal for that glory. And when he doesn't see it, he asks for God's justice. He asks for God's judgment. I mean, notice who he's talking about. Well, first notice who he's not talking about. He's not calling judgment down upon his neighbor because his dog keeps running into your yard. <laughs> he doesn't cause, uh, call judgment and wrath down upon uh, a fellow Israelite or another person of the church who maybe differs on a different point of theology. No, he's calling judgment down upon those who actively are in opposition to God. Who are these people? Look. They're these people who are God's enemies, who are speaking against the very name of God, who hate the Lord, who rise up against him. These are people who are in opposition to God's glory. That's why David prays this way. He is filled with such zeal for God's glory that when he sees it being opposed, he cannot help but ask for God's justice. But you know, when David contemplates who God is and all that he has done and his leading of him, his, his focus isn't just on the evil in the world. But you notice he actually turns and gives himself uh, an examination. 
He considers the evil in his own life. That's how the psalm ends in verses 23 and 24. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. David is saying, if there is a path that I am going down, if there is a thought in my head, if there is a word on my lips that will not bring you glory, reveal it to me, God, and strike it from me. Lead me in the way that I am to go. Let me not be like those who I've just called justice upon, but instead lead me in the way that I should go. David is saying, reveal these things to me. If there be any grievous way in me, David is saying, I don't even know. Right? Remember, we don't know ourselves as well as God knows us. Certainly, there are things in our lives that we think are good. But God will one day reveal them as wicked. There are things that maybe we don't even know are sin, but one day God will show us that they are. What David is saying is when that, when the scales are removed from our eyes and we see the sin for what it is, that we are to repent of it, we are to turn from it, we are to follow after God's leading. And so that means that, that if we are going to pray this prayer, that we are going to change. That if we are going to follow God's leading, what we are asking is for God to change us so that what we look like tomorrow is going to be different than what we looked like yesterday. Because God's going to reveal the ways that we have not followed after him. And so if there are things, if there are words that I have said or desires that I have had, if there are things that I have tweeted, if there are, if there are traditions that I have held to, if there are ways that I have walked, if there are things that I have listened to that are not for God's glory, that I would turn from them and follow after his way. That's what we are asking him to do, that we would be led by the very hand of God. That is our prayer. And through Christ, he does it. I mean, we actually heard it earlier in our service, didn't we? In the assurance of pardon, we heard a confession of sin. We said it. We silently confessed. And then we heard these words of grace from Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Did you hear it? God shows us the ways that we have not been following after him so that we would renounce them and turn from them. And we are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That we would say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness and we would say yes to God's leading and to his glory and to his will. That's what we pray and what we ask for. That the God who is with us and the God who knows us would be the God who leads us. You know, you might be wondering what happened on that day. <laughs> How far my parents got down the road before they realized I wasn't there. You know, the truth is, is my parents hadn't actually forgotten about me at all. They did get in the car. They did pull out of the parking lot, but they just drove around to come to the parking lot closest to where I was. 
And there I was crying as they stepped out of the car and came near to me. See, they had never forgotten about me. Actually, I was always on their mind. It seemed like they had. I felt like I was alone, but they had never left me. They hadn't forgotten me. I wasn't really alone. And friends, the truth is, is that if you are in Christ, the same is true of you. You may be surrounded by enemies. You may be confronted by bloodthirsty men. You might simply be burdened by your sin. But you are never alone because God is with us and he knows us and he leads us. Amen. Our God and our King, we do thank you for the grace that you have shown to us. That through Christ you have drawn near to us. You, Lord Jesus, are God with us. The God who reveals our sin to us, who convicts us of the wickedness that is in this world and in our lives. And you lead us in the way that we are to go. And so I ask, Father, help me. Help us all to follow your leading. Show us the way that we have followed paths that are not of you and lead us in the way that we are to go so that we, we would give you glory. We would give you honor. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said together, amen.